This is a Pound the Rock podcast show. While the Uncle Nearest team is in quarantine, we have been producing regular broadcasts on our Instagram, on our Facebook, and in live Zoom webinars. We have decided to take those shows and bring them here to you on the podcast channel. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to Uncle Nearest Cocktail Club. We'll be here every Thursday discussing all the ins and outs of mixology. You can join us anytime on IGTV for cool videos of drinks you can make at home and bring all your burning mixology questions to our Zoom room each Thursday night at 8 p.m. Eastern. All levels welcome. We can't wait to raise a glass. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome. We're so excited to be kicking off our very first um, cocktail club. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. <laughs> It's our first edition. So I'm Kitty coming to you from Boston. And then today we have here uh, Gideon, Ian, Chastity, and Xander. Hi, friends. Hi. Hello. Yeah. Um, so today we'll be discussing the Whiskey Sour. And we have the wonderful Xander Brown, our Southern California brand steward here. Um, he's going to be on deck as our featured mixologist. So he's been kind enough to volunteer to show us how to make this cocktail. It's going to be so great. Hey, Xander. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Phenomenal. Keep them active. Yes, good. Um, so Xander made an amazing video that's going to be on our Instagram TV, correct? Or it is already, it might be there. Awesome. Um, so everybody should definitely check that out tonight or anytime. Um, he's also going to demo the cocktail live for us tonight so we can ask questions in real time and like really go through it. Um, and I'll introduce us now to our mixology team so that we know where everybody's coming from on the panel. But just so you all know, we have some of the best and brightest in the business here today. So we're going to have a lot of fun trying to figure out the ins and outs of the whiskey sour with you. Uh, sound good, everybody? Sounds good. Let's <laughs> do it. Awesome. Uh, so Chastity, I'm going to ask you first, welcome. Chastity is coming to us from Chicago. Um, can you tell us a little, a little bit about your background as it relates to cocktails and mixology? Oh, yeah, well, sure. It's been a, a long, extensive um, career. I, I was previ previously before I was working for Uncle Nearest. Uh, I was a bartender behind the bar in several roles for 16 years. Um, love connecting with people, making cocktails, creating a experience for them behind the bar. Uh, met a lot of different people, made great connections, learned, I've learned so much throughout my 16 year career bartending. Um, and yeah, so now I'm here with Uncle Nearest um, and I still have a great love for bartending. And actually at this quarantine, I thought I would never uh, get behind the bar again, actually, but I want to bartend again now. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I had a dream last night about bartending. I had, um, you know, those, I was, I was just like, this is so weird when you get those, like, I'm sure you guys have this. I'm, I know I'm not the only one who still gets restaurant anxiety dreams, even though I haven't worked <laughs> anything. <laughs> and last night I got one and I was like, oh, I just miss places. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. You miss yeah. The, the human interaction and, you know, how every night is different or every totally. shift behind the bar is different. Um, so oh, yeah, I'm missing that right now, for real. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. That's awesome. Um, so let's talk to Ian now. So Ian is your partner, your colleague based in Hi, Chicago. Daddy. Yeah, yep. Ian, tell us about yourself. Uh, I've had a few different roles with, with spirits. I, uh, I've been a distributor. Uh, I, was in, I was in production in the distillery for a, a while. 
Uh, before that, I was bartending. I was kind of bartending in and out. The last place I bartended was at a, at a spot in Chicago called Rogers Park Social, which was all craft cocktails with all craft spirits. It was a very unique bar. Um, but before that, I actually started the fine dining. So I got my start in like 2009 when craft cocktails were kind of just coming up. My, my bar mentor at the time was this surly old lesbian named Anne, Anne. who was just the best. All of her, all of her drinks were heavy. All of her, her style was heavy. She was great. <laughs> uh, you can't beat it. How, what's Anne doing now? Should we toast to Anne? Little shout out. <laughs> Definitely toast to Anne. I have no idea, but wherever Anne is, I hope she's doing phenomenally. She Cheers was wonderful. To Anne. I love that. Cheers. Well, thank you so much. Um, so let's shoot on over to the West Coast. So on the West Coast, we have people coming to us from the north and south of the lovely state of California. Um, Gideon, let's have you chat to us first before we turn everything over to Xander for a little while. Hey, everybody. My name is Gideon Sagai. I am the Northern California brand steward for Uncle Nearest. Uh, and I ran into Uncle Nearest literally on a trip. Uh, by, by accident, I was at Brooklyn Bar Convent about three years ago or so, and I ran into Fawn and Steve, and I was charging my battery. I'd actually just won a, a national bartending competition with Beluga Vodka, and we were at the convention, and I was charging my phone, and Steve walks up, and he taps me on the shoulder, and he says, hey, would you like to hear a cool story? And I thought, why not? I got to charge my phone. I sat down. He poured me a taste. I tasted it for the first time. At that time, it wasn't actually on the West Coast yet. Uh, Fawn walked in, gave me a bottle, said, I need you to tell everybody you know. So at the time, I was the bar director for a fine dining Japanese steakhouse. And I brought this bottle back with me. We all cheers and toasted. I told the story. And we waited patiently. And then about six months later, it was released in California. And here I am. Okay. Early 2000s, started off as a chef. Uh, spent the next decade studying food, traveling around the world. And then got into spirits. And here I am, happy to be here with the team. Oh, that's so cool. Well, we can't wait to hear your feedback, everybody's feedback. Um, so many different backgrounds. It's so cool. Um, so finally, well, actually, I'll, I guess I'll say something about me, should I? No, we'll have, Xander, let's have you do your bio, then I'll say something about myself so I'm not just a talking blonde head for everybody. And then we'll turn it back to you, okay? That's good. <laughs> uh, my name is Xander Brown. I work in S Southern California as a uh, brand steward for Uncle Nearest as well. Um, I kind of fell into the world of cocktails and spirits. Um, I was a, a photojournalist in the Air Force for eight years and was kind of doing everything in my ability ever to do photography. School, college, I also went to college for photography. And it wasn't until I had this uh, position kind of fall out from underneath me that I fell into bartending. I happen to be a regular at a, a high-end cocktail bar called Drink in Boston, for all those who are familiar. My uh, sister used to work there, and that's how I kind of became friends with everyone there. And I literally needed a job. I hit up uh, Ezra Starr, and uh, I was like, hey, I need a job <laughs> ASAP. And she invited me to come out for a stage, and I was perplexed and confused and Googled many times to figure out what set stage was. Later, I figured out stage is just a gift. <laughs> there it is. It's so oh good. God, it's I was sitting here like, oh, that's not the right word. <laughs> She's like, when do I interject? <laughs> do I? <laughs> I had a stage on Friday, and then by Monday, I was working there. And 
a lot of people ask me like how on earth is my first ever bar job or serving job was drink it was just connections and friendships so i had to work uh, my butt off to get moving up the ladder because the way it works there is no matter your experience level you have to start as a bar back you have to prove yourself as a bar back then you have to take in a written and practical exam in front of the other staff to become an apprentice then you do that for a few more months and then you have to take another written and practical exam in front of the wow. head bartenders then become a bartender generally they say it takes about three years to become a competent powerful bartender there uh, I had about 300 cocktails memorized at the time when I worked there. And we were trained off history of cocktails, history of spirits, history of glassware, history of our company. Um, it was a little bit of everything. And I thought I was going to be there for the foreseeable future, but I ended up being picked up by Pernod Ricard. And I was their craft activation specialist. I worked with a few of their luxury spirits. And then they changed over their company a little bit. And so I had an opportunity to come out to California where I picked up my second bar job at a uh, pizza <laughs> joint nearby, which was a kind of upscale pizza joint. And then I, the brand world was calling me again and I knew I wanted to get back into this. So I started going on to websites and finding something. And as soon as I read our kind of Theos and how we operate as a company and the story that we get a chance to share, it kind of resonated coming from a very large family and, having people's legacies that I want to share with others, what better legacy to share than your screens and have a company that actually has value behind the liquid that we pour. So that's kind of where I wound up here and now I'm in the great state of California and it's uh, currently cold at 60, uh, 60 ish degrees. <laughs> Very chilly right now. First Boo. Oh, <laughs> well you did your time on the East coast. So, you yeah, know, cold. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so finally, I'll introduce myself to y'all. My name is Kitty. Um, I am from Boston. I'm a Boston gal. I actually came to Boston through New Hampshire, um, but I've been here um, since my early 20s. Um, so I started working in restaurants when I was a teenager. Like the first job I ever had was in a restaurant. I was the worst busser ever. Um, still probably would be. <laughs> um, I was just too timid and slow <laughs> when I was 16 years old. Um, but I ended up always working in restaurants. So um, I had different, I've always done like different things for work. So I was in publishing for a little while and then I was in public relations. Um, but I always worked in restaurants uh, to supplement my income and also because I just loved it. Like I found so much camaraderie and friendship and I'm sure this is going to resonate with all of you, just the sort of Island of Misfit Toys vibe of some of the bars I worked in and um, I just loved it. And so uh, I just, I did that, um, you know, to make money. Uh, but when the cocktail thing started taking off in Boston, I was like, it was like a whole new world opened up to me. Like I had worked in restaurants forever without knowing like, anything about spirits, you know, besides just what people ordered. Um, I didn't know the differences between bourbon and rye. I, we didn't, you could hardly get rye in Boston. It's just like, I'm dating myself here, truthfully, and I will for the duration of this <laughs> programming. Um, but I, um, I was also an aspiring writer at the time. Um, and then I also, at that time, I teamed up with a fantastically wonderful friend of mine named Misty. And we started a local, um, all women's classic cocktail club called LUPEC, which stands for Ladies United for the Preservation of Endangered Cocktails. Um, and that was great fun. So we were the Boston chapter um, and we did lots of different things like drinking for a cause. We did fundraising, we did parties. Um, we just had a blast. And we also, because I was an aspiring writer, um, we also started a blog 
Member blogs. Anybody else have yeah. a blog? A little live journal action. I used to. I used to. MySpace count. MySpace was of that era for sure. <laughs> so I have to chime in here as your producer. We are of the. I think we are similar in age, and I also come from Boston. I I know all the. Like, I remember she knows everything. We were all doing these things, and you know blogs it. came way before MySpace. Way before <laughs> Friendster. Talk about aging yourself. <laughs> I won't discuss my age here. Then. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, so that was great fun. And then, you know, here we are. I ended up similar to Xander. I think I was kind of in the right place at the right time when um, I actually worked for Panera Card for my first brand job as well. And we probably had the same brands. I had Plymouth and Beefeater, um, but it was just those two. Um, and that was great fun. And I didn't know you could have a job where you just told people to drink what you thought were the best things to drink in the entire world. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so that's the kind of the long story short about how I ended up on this side of the business. Um, and then just to wrap it up with the blog that has turned into a book, um, which came out in 2018, which, um, is a different story, but that's a, that's another thing. I'm a cocktail book author and my book is called Drinking Like Ladies. And I'm still in a writing partnership with my friend, Misty Kalkofen, who is the co-founder of, um, New Pack back in the day. So you guys might know her. She's like a real life famous person. So anybody watching or listening a little brand called Zelma Guy. <laughs> uh, no, she's the best in the one of the best in the business. So sometimes, sometimes maybe we'll have her on. Um, anyway, so let's turn it back to you, Xander. We would love to see what you have in store for us with this fantastic yes. cocktail. What are you making for us, Xander? <laughs> um, I'm going over the classic whiskey sour. It's simple, but there's a lot of uh, different arguments about it. There's a lot of different opinions the history, how it's made, uh, proportions, uh, additives. Uh, we'll get kind of all into that. And if anyone has any questions, please type them out, ask them, and I'll answer them as I go. And I'll try to keep an eye on the conversation. Um, a little bit about the history is like a lot of people believe it was basically a scaled down punch. Uh, kind of follows a similar recipe of the classic one of sour, two of sweet, three of strong, and four of weak, so to speak. You uh, just said you're... What's that? Oh, no. Nope. Um, Smell function. <laughs> no worries. There's a couple different, also, potential people who thought they invented it. I mean, it showed up in 1862 in Jerry Thomas's book, Bartending Guide. Uh, there's also a reference to it in a um, Peruvian newspaper in um, 1872, which is a couple years later, saying it was invented in Chile. Um, also, in Wisconsin, there's a newspaper mentioning it back to 1870. So it's all around the same time. So generally it's like, I defer to the godfather of cocktails in my opinion, Jerry Thomas. So feel free to say otherwise. Um, the original recipe that he wrote down, I wanted to quote because the proportions are kind of ludicrous and also interesting. It was a large teaspoon of powdered sugar that would dissolve with soda water, uh, the juice of half a lemon, and one wine glass of bourbon or rye. Uh, so wine they, they enjoyed their drink to say the least. <laughs> yeah. A wine glass full of bourbon, huh? One wine. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> That's a pretty <laughs> hefty drink. Should I give you should, I mean, go ahead. I want to see I what think wine glasses, you drink it. Do you, do you guys have a copy of Mbaya by David Wondrich? Because he does translate yeah. um, the size of the wine glass into ounces and I want to say it's maybe one and a half. I, I could go grab it, but then Wine I glasses were a little bit different. I did. Uh, I was doing some research into that. It's not quite as extreme as it sounds. 
Sorry. Yes, I would like yeah. to take the, the wine glass that we see in front of us and fill that with bourbon. But <laughs> Let's do that next time. Quite as Gideon, fill, fill until your, your cup runs over of bourbon. Yes. Just go for it. All right. <laughs> um, so another argument this goes into is the use of egg whites, too. Uh, the original recipe did not clarify egg white. It was added a little bit later to make it a bit smoother. Uh, even if we go quote some of the greats, Gary Regan, his book did not include egg whites, but Dale DeGroff did. And so it kind of, I think it's kind of interpretation. It depends what you want your, co your ending cocktail to be, taste like, especially with the situation we're currently in. You're the only one drinking it. Unless you're sharing on social media just to kind of get some people to judge you. No one really cares. Drink what makes you happy. That's what I've always said is there's no rules to drinking. That's right. Drinking is for fun, mm -hmm. drinking is for social aspect and to share a story. Um, and then now I'll get into another argument with the whiskey or egg whites is a lot of people complain about potential salmonella. Um, yes, there is a chance for it. Marginal. I'd say you have a better chance of choking on a bar peanut than you do getting salmonella. <laughs> and only generally it's either uh, potentially elderly or the very young, and ideally the very young are not drinking cocktails, so we should be okay. <laughs> um, another good thing is I like to think of cocktails as kind of what I call the Mr. Potato Head effect, is that there's the base cocktail. We have, for at least a whiskey sour, is lemon, simple syrup, and a brown spirit, traditionally bourbon or rye. You can take out one of those and add in something else, and you actually can have a lot of other different cocktails. Um, you take out the simple syrup and add honey, it's a uh, gold rush. You take out the simple syrup, add maraschino, it's actually a Tennessee. You add all of those back, you just have the regular simple syrup and the lemon, and you do a float of uh, wine on top of it, it's a New York sour. That's my favorite. That's a good one. Yeah, I love so, there's a lot of different options and a lot of easy ways to kind of get a lot of cocktails from just a very simple thing. Absolutely. Um, then going into the argument of additives other than egg white. So there is one called aquafaba, which is Latin for bean water, if anyone wants to know. I did some research today. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is actually the juice that's from uh, chickpeas when they're either cooked or stored. So uh, the reason this kind of works is because it has a little bit of starch and a little bit of protein similar to kind of what egg whites come as. And it's also a really good option because it's also vegan. So if anyone wants to get their whiskey sours without um, egg whites or it just skews you out, use aquafaba. It's actually a very um, easy way to do it and it stores a lot longer, especially currently right now, not everyone maybe can get eggs. I was lucky enough to find some actually just yesterday after going out for the last couple of days just to go to the grocery store to see if I could get some food for my house. That's real, the egg thing. It is, but I found some, so I've only gone Yay. through half a dozen in the last two days making egg white drinks. It's fine. I have lots of protein. Um, now, the other option is actually burrata water, which I was not as familiar with until I came out to California. It is uh, the water from uh, stored mozzarella. So this is actually was um, the bar in New York that kind of was the first sighted people to use this. And the really cool thing about this is because it adds a little bit more flavor than I'd say the aquafaba does. It adds, uh, and it's also very sturdy foam. Since the protein from the milk and the little bit of salinity, uh, you can have a really tall, tall foam structure in, for example, like Ramos's or the whiskey sour. Um, I'm gonna start making the cocktail and then as we go, yes. we kind of questions. 
Um, I'm also gonna kind of do a little bit of cheating uh, just because for whatever reason, I cannot find any of my actual uh, jiggers anywhere. I don't know whether my old bar stole them or whether I accidentally donated them to someone or they kind of, <laughs> but actually this will be beneficial because a lot of people don't know, um, don't necessarily have jiggers and there's actually easy ways to have measuring that work for it. For example, one tablespoon is half an ounce and a quarter cup is two ounces. So that's all we need for today's recipe, at least. Oh, that's great information, Zandra. Hey, guys, by the way, um, we have a question here. So Jose apparently wants to know, um, Chastity, do you live near Highland Park? Now, uh, he promised he's not a stalker. He just wants to know, um, and I'm going to fill this in for him, so what your favorite locals would be. Well, I live in Evergreen Park. I'm not sure how far that is from Highland Park. Ian, do you have an idea where Highland Park is? Yeah, I've been to Highland Park a few times. It's 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 uh it's north of us. Okay. So, so yeah, I'm, so about, uh So Nicholas, I'm about 15 minutes from Midway Airport. I'm southwest. Yeah. And as far as like local spots that are my favorite out there, uh, unfortunately, I don't. I don't know that part of the part of the Chicagoland area too well, but I do love Ravinia, and I wish it was opening up. So, sorry, Jose, I can't help you out. <laughs> so apparently, um, he's Nicholas, who says he's Jose, is a drinking buddy of Kitty. <laughs> ah, it all makes sense. <laughs> so there we go. Jose will have to find a way to connect. <laughs> Quarantine is over and share a dream of Uncle Nearest. There we go. There we go. Love it. I love it. Okay, Sandra, continue, please. Excellent. So I'm going to immediately start back with another controversy. I'm going to add half an ounce of lemon juice. Whoa. That is kind of a controversy. I feel very strongly about that. The reason I do this is here we go. I'm a product of where I learned all my recipes. Drink is well known for their two half half. My sister uh, and multiple other people have tattoos stating out two half half. Mm -hmm. Half, and when I say half half, three quarter, three quarter, that's uh, of an ounce. So half an ounce of lemon, half an ounce of simple syrup, and two ounces of spirit. That was what we found was tasted best for the people that were enjoying our cocktails and what we feel the most balanced. Most, a lot of recipes generally you see for this is three quarters of an ounce of lemon, three quarters of an ounce of simple syrup. Mm -hmm. I do not fall under that, so feel free to disagree or make it the way you want. So Xander, I'm gonna interject with a question just to clarify for any of our listeners who are home bartenders and everybody can actually weigh in. Um, So the difference is that that drink would be drier if you did it with half-half versus three quarters? A little bit less. Because there's a little bit less, um, there's less citrus, but there's also less syrup. Right. So by volume, there is less modifier to the spirit. Right. So yes, it would be a little bit drier, which I think Boston Bostonians are a bunch of uh, stubborn, um, mm-hmm. aggressive people who like their bitter flavor profiles. Nice. Whoa! Quick little cocktail. Fired. Hey, we're stubborn, <laughs> but once you befriend us, we're some most loyal people. It's so outwardly, we're kind of. Uh, that is true. We just can be tough. Great I have heard that feedback, though, that Bostonians, especially that drinks, cocktails are on the drier side. Yes. Um, which, drier and boozier. 
So like the big thing with coming out to California, of our Sazeracs are three ounces. Our old fashions are three ounces. Whoa. So that's Whoa. how we traditionally always Whoa. make them. So, we don't do that in Chicago. That's <laughs> no. Yeah, I would never do a bar. I want like range. full old fashioned. I yeah, want I'm all coming to ounces. visit Boston real soon. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Go out there. The idea of my customers having a three ounce Sazerac terrifies me. Like I've had people sit down for multiple three ounce Sazeracs. We can't all be Bostonians. <laughs> we can't well, all rock as hard as we work. rock. Cold <laughs> melts away the alcohol quicker, I think. Mm -hmm. It's cold okay, here, so too. I know. <laughs> I was just thinking that I was going to make some cold weather jokes, and then I was like, eh, it's kind of cold over there, love. So we're going to go back to the recipe as much as we I digress. Um, <laughs> half an ounce of lemon. Also, for those who are making this at home, you might not have fresh lemon juice. That's fine. Because actually, lemons generally, actually, if you get the citrus, they last three to four weeks in the refrigerator, about one week at room temperature. But once you juice it, the fresh juice lasts about two to three days. And what I mean by last is tastes the best. It actually immediately starts changing the second you juice it. But it is honestly about food safe for up to two weeks. It might not taste the way you want it to. It might not have the same acidity and brightness but it's not gonna kill you. It's just gonna not taste the best. So again, this goes back to work with what you have. You can use those little like lemon bottles that you find from the grocery yeah. store. We are My dad encouraged that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, look, we are not going to encourage that. <laughs> no, ideally go out, brave all this and get some fresh lemon juice to make a No, don't do that. Fresh and Newport, 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 he can pick them out from his window. Say that. Well, you live in California. Like, it's a whole different, like, dimension of, like, space. It is. <laughs> it is kind of a whole different dimension. It's not bad. <laughs> oh, you would be so sad if you lived here in New England in the winter trying to eat the yeah. unfresh food. <laughs> you have to dig for your vegetables, right? That's how it works? It's just, we just eat apples. Underneath the frozen zone, permafrost. Rutabagas, you know. Rutabagas. Lots of Sweet uh, potatoes, <laughs> no vegetables, no sun. <laughs> parsnips. I mean, no green Lots vegetables. of parsnips. Okay. I right. digress. We're going to go back to our cocktail, guys. You know it's hard. focused. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, this would happen. <laughs> so, next thing is half an ounce of simple syrup. The reason I bring it in this container is a little bit of um, kind of to suggest how to make it. Honestly, simple syrup is simple. Equal parts, sugar, and water by volume. Uh, also, I'm going to say another controversial thing that people are going to yell at me about. Do not heat your simple syrups. They change the molecular compound, making it taste different. It will incorporate without heating. So just shake it a lot. Don't shake. So okay, I so actually use a bottle. bottle. Okay. Put in. I, I said, yeah, you, you, can, you, can cold, you, can, you, can, you can do it cold. If you just let it sit in a fairly cold space. It might take a little longer, but it'll it, it'll it'll be good. It's a better mouthfeel overall, and it's a better uh, sweetness level. 
I'm learning yeah. something, guys. I mean, I I'm thought sure. I, I thought yeah. I knew a lot, but I thought you needed to have at least <laughs> warm water to incorporate that shit. Well, so would you put warm water in the Nalgene and then shake it, or would you just no, go with no, room, temperature? I, room temperature? Nothing, water. nothing warm. Nothing warm. I'm going to take a video of myself just caramelizing simple syrup tonight. Caramelizing a caramelizer. Oh, it's fine. Syrup. It works. It's just going to be a little bit less viscous and a little bit more sweet. Okay. Okay. So now the next um, point is what delicious Uncle Nearest product do we want to use? Ooh. The answer is neither of them are wrong. Uh, I kind of go back and forth. Um, I like that the 84 has a little bit more brightness. It being a, a younger product, it has a bit of spice to it. But I've also found uh, a really nice whiskey sour. The richness of the uh, 1856 is really nice. So I'm going to go with the 1856 because I can. Hey, guys, we have a quick question. Yeah. So um, one of our guests asks, is it okay to use store-bought simple syrup um, or is it super easy to make your own? So one of you guys, please answer that. Both are acceptable. Yes. It's, you know, if, it is very, at the end of the day. It's probably cheaper to make your own, though. It's definitely right. cheaper to make your own, but mm -hmm. like, if, if you're not comfortable with it, it, you can buy it. It's fine. At the end <laughs> of the day, you're making a cocktail at home. As long as you're happy with it, it's good. It's so simple, though. No right? rules to drinking here. Equal parts mm -hmm. sugar and water. Get you a big old bag of sugar. I would give the caveat, though, that you read the ingredients so that there aren't chemicals mm -hmm. and stabilizers in that simple syrup bottle that you buy in the store. It should just be sugar. Water. Yes. I don't know if it's the same, but Trader Joe's used to have an excellent, uh, excellent simple syrup to buy. It was very simple. Mm -hmm. If you feel like you don't have the space to store it, or if you don't have the means to make it, then just it, yes, it's well, fine. It's good if you're doing like a gift too. Like my dad, my 74 year old father is not going to like make his own simple syrup. <laughs> no. You know, no. so well, I'm like, Dad, here. <laughs> So why don't we go ahead and post the recipe after this, and then we'll share it with, with our friends that were in the room with us tonight. And if they'd like to make their own simple syrup, they can. And if, if they want to do store-bought, let's um, suggest some brands for them that we know have natural ingredients. That's awesome. Also, I saw one other question about uh, how long it can be stored for. Uh, again, just keep an eye on it. Um, it's probably pretty shelf-stable, probably at least, I would say, at minimum a month. But... Mm -hmm with us at uh, drink, we would never have it over three weeks generally. It just depends yeah. on how quickly you're using it. So just make smaller amounts at a time and then it'll go, you can easily make it. I've done it in two to three minutes making it another batch. I have a question to ask about that. So back in the day when I was blogging, um, I remember researching about syrups for an article and um, at that point, and I think David Wondrich mentions this in some of his um, writing. I'm not sure how recent it is, but he, sometimes people will recommend putting like a little bit of vodka into the syrup. Do you guys do that too, to keep it a, like a little shelf stable a little bit longer? We never did. Uh, no. We would, uh, depending on the vessel and depending on the syrup. Like for example, like our raspberry simple syrup, we take whole raspberries, add sugar and water and let it sit overnight. But we'd always uh, spray down the Cambro with vodka. So it just it wasn't necessarily an additive to the product. It'd be more just a precautionary thing to the cameras themselves and to kind of disinfect. So a great if question you, just came up as well um, about using anything that's infused in a simple syrup. So I think this would be a, so so certainly 
um, as the person asks, you want to keep it in your refrigerator, perhaps we can explain why the minute you infuse the sugar and water, here are all the things that can happen to it that would make it unstable for the shelf. So you want to keep it in your fridge. And then again, if you don't add it should really be a high proof. A vodka is not really going to work. It's got to be a high proof. And maybe, I know we're going to go down a little bit of a rabbit hole, but that's what we're here to do. If that's you guys okay. could explain <laughs> what happens when you add anything else to that sugar and water mixture, and then how you should store it. And if you wanted to make it stable, the layperson I don't really feel is going to have access to something that would make it stable. So refrigerator is the best. If you guys would explain, please. Does Gideon want to chat about that as a trained chef, or I'm sure any of, of the team can speak, but... Uh, I'll, I'll jump on that. I love making infusions, um, especially being in California, where there's so many bountiful items for us to pick <laughs> from our backyards to infuse with. Um, when you heat something, you, you immediately change the molecular um, chemistry of it, and bacteria start to awaken and live between... 45 degrees Fahrenheit and 100 and, uh, 160 degrees Fahrenheit. And that's pretty much a, a danger zone. And if you don't refrigerate stuff and bring things either uh, below that 45 degrees or above, keep things above 160 degrees Fahrenheit, you're going to be bubbling and making bacteria, which isn't always bad because that's how we make whiskey. And that's how we make beer. And that's how we make shrubs. It's called fermenting. You don't want anything to ferment unless you're intentionally trying to ferment uh, because there's bad fermentation that can make you extremely sick. So if you're ever going to infuse something, uh, you want to keep that, keep those organic materials floating in there, uh, super duper cold or always have them super duper hot. And these days it's just a lot easier to do that in a refrigerator than keep a 24 hour, seven days a week uh, hot water bath in your house. I mean, it's almost warm enough in California to leave it outside, but we <laughs> Maybe in Arizona. I don't know. <laughs> ferment at home unless you're, you, you're ready to experiment and you're, you're healthy. Uh, don't give anybody else your fermented projects. Um, just, you know, leave fermenting to the professionals if you can. Great. Experiment more. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> right, so if that answers your questions, we're going to uh, move on back to our cocktail. Yes. Um, so I already put in two ounces of 1856 using a quarter ounce, that's exactly two ounces, makes our life very easy. And now, and to the controversial thing, yes, I am gonna use eggs. You all can make it the way you want, I choose yeah. this way. I love mine with egg white. I made mine I with egg white tonight. I'm making a Xander's way. Okay. So the best way is actually use the edge of the shaker tin. If you have a shaker tin, it helps kind of create a line there to break it apart. So then, ooh, there you go, I have it lined up properly. Open it up, and then you can use the shell itself to pass back and forth. And just be careful because if you break it, uh, the yolk will actually not, uh, will make it so it doesn't foam as well. Okay. There you go. So you can just literally toss it in like that. I'm going to go off camera and toss it into my sink. Fabulous. I just want to add a tip really quickly. It's good Please. to do that egg white in a tin separate from the rest of your ingredients, just in case you get a little yolk um, mm. or a little egg shell in that. So don't, don't do the egg white inside of the, the tin with the rest of your ingredients. Do it in a separate tin. The yolk won't be, um, the most of the reason we were so precautionary with yolk, at least for especially at drink, is mostly the foam and the presentation. For at home, 
that's not necessarily as an issue. The egg shell is a little bit more because there is a little bit more potential for potential things being on the egg uh, shell itself. But again, alcohol kills germs, right? <laughs> yeah, <it does. laughs> Wish it so, killed the coronavirus. We're going to ice. So in the video, I kind of get these really big ice cubes. They're actually really easy, just a matter of getting a big ice mold. Um, so I use it either for breaking, I usually only use one ice cube. Sometimes I'll break it up a little bit for the shaking. Um, again, you can use a spoon. Sometimes I'll just use the back of the tin. So Gideon, now, are you using a big cube or are you going with? I use one big cube uh, in the video mm -hmm. and I'm using uh, one big cube and a broken up one here just because okay. it's a little bit um, quicker, but also it's just okay. generally, um, People say that one big cube is better for aeration. Oh, also, okay. we'll get into a quick conversation. I, I'll st say about before this dilutes too much. Oh. <laughs> um, uh, dry shaking. Generally, there's uh, dry shaking and uh, wet shaking, or not wet shaking, just regular shaking, I guess. <laughs> uh, dry shaking just references um, shaking it before you add the ice. Generally, the reason they do this is actually it's a temperature thing. At a higher temperature, you're going to emulsify your products a lot easier and potentially uh, do a better foam. Mm -hmm. I can get away with that just because I'm an aggressive shaker and I can kind of cheat a lot of things. So, um, Which will be our next question. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you can just get a shake. Shake, 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 so look at the two different um, techniques so of shaking, by the way. I think um, that we should have both of our both of our brothers here explain um, their different uh, shaking techniques. And then there's Kitty. So that's actually a big thing between bartenders, right, is shaking mm -hmm. techniques. So a lot of it is just kind of learned, followed, viewed, see what everyone else is doing. Like half the way is just like, Everyone, every single bartender I've ever met has their own kind of little shake, but generally it's used to kind of help protect your joints, your bodies, and your like motion. So the reason where I'm putting something is so I don't want to lift it up too high to kind of strain my shoulders. I generally keep it in close to my body. And the reason my hand, I'm going to pour this really quickly and then I'll explain. Yes. <laughs> so also Gideon is down there fine straining. Gideon, can you explain that to the folks in the room? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first, I'm actually doing the reverse shake. So instead of doing the Ooh. first dry shake, I'm uh, shaking it to dilute it a little bit faster and then I'm refrothing it again. And a lot of modern cocktail bars will use uh, frothing machines, a uh, little like smoothie spinners and things like that. And all like I a fat machine? Kind of Re-aerate mm -hmm. and re-wake mm -hmm. it up. And it's already diluted. Hmm. And I'm fine straining because there are ice chips and particles that I don't want inside of my cocktail, like the leftover, um, the leftover like albumin from the egg and things like that. It just goes for a smoother, more enjoyable cocktail situation. Albumin? Albumin is the um, protein that connects the yolk and whites to the shell itself. Like a little yeah, it's a fancy scientific term for egg white. Thank you, chefs. And then we um are you gonna drink both of those cocktails, Gideon? <laughs> so I have a fiance here who's 
been waiting for a cocktail for a while. It's like, y'all talk too much. <laughs> I'm going to make sure she gets this cocktail because she's hard at work right now. That's right. Oh, look at yours, Xander. It's gorgeous. So this is, there'll be generally, um, I'm going to show you this as an example of why there are a lot of rules, but I kind of broke a few of them with the double straining, but not reverse shaking. You can still get a very nice foam line from it as long as you shake vigorously as I, I nice. do. Mm -hmm. Gideon, what are you garnishing your, your drink with? Please tell us about so that. Before Amazon shut down, I had a feeling I'd be making a few cocktails from house. And I ordered uh, a bunch of Luxardo cherries. Ooh. <gasps> my whiskey sour. Beautiful. Right here. Yes. Does anyone want to explain um, cherries? Like why you would choose a Luxardo over a Maraschino? I mean, that is a maraschino cherry. Sorry. Why you would choose a maraschino luxardo cherry over a store-bought bright red, the ones that my dad has in his fridge. Or over a lemon rind. Perhaps we should just explain the proper garnish, period. Because huh? I think the garnish is probably very... Proper garnish is uh, relative. I like a cherry and an orange expression <laughs> over my whiskey sour, personally. I, I think Sailor and I are in a similar camp because I think that a lemon expression is really important, a lemon peel expression, just because it, it, if there are any off aromas from the egg, it kind of just gets rid of them. I like any that. Sulfuric, any, any sulfuric kind of And smell. your, your maraschino sherry is going to add sweetness to it. So I, that's kind of the answer mm -hmm. I was looking for is, so what are, what are the purposes of garnish? Which, you know, I think most people think, oh, it just looks pretty, but that's not what, how we feel about it, right? Oh, so yeah. we have reasons why we use certain garnishes. Right. Um, and so, Xander, in your video, and we're going to, we, I posted a link to it. We'll post it again. It's on IGTV. You don't have a garnish for that. Correct. Sometimes you will see, I use, I express a lemon rind. Um, and then, so Gideon chose the uh, Luxardo cherry, and, and that's very intentional, and that's something that I love to explain to guests, so if you guys would explain that to everyone in the room. Yeah, what I would normally use is actually uh, Angostura bitters um, sp uh, sprayed over top, because what I like is, uh, I feel as if the citrus is already component is already gotten from the lemon, and so I don't want the extra oil on top, because I don't, I don't, because when you exp express peels over top of drinks, that's the first thing you usually get on your nose mm -hmm. because that's what you're bringing up to your face. You're spelling that. Mm -hmm. What I like is, I think generally I haven't, I haven't had the issues with the egg white thing. That's never why I was doing it to hide a potential off flavor. I like the Angostura because I think it helps add a little bit of depth. Generally it's like uh, we have, I mean, in this product there's an amazing whiskey that has a lot of depth already to it, but I like the kind of spice notes that bring out the bourbon, the wood, other things, and adds kind of a different complexity to the cocktail itself. And it also looks really cool when you do it on top of the egg white, and you do the lines, and you've probably all seen those. Makes it all pretty. Yes. That. So we always drink with our eyes to a certain extent, and so that's why garnishes are kind of twofold. There is the classic lemon swath, there's the cherries. Mm -hmm. um, the cherries, for example, she, uh, her question earlier was talking about the difference between store-bought cherries and maraschino. Store-bought cherries that you get on top of Sundays are generally dyed and bleached. Right. And they taste like sadness. It's like a sad uh, cry. They only belong on top of a Sunday, an ice cream no. Sunday. No, I don't. In even the mouth that. of a child, like it's yes. <laughs> <laughs> <The> chemical <laughs> grown-up consumption. 
<laughs> Kitty said that was such the mouth of a child. <laughs> I mean, I love children, but like, I just, you know, they'll eat them and they won't get sick of them and they'll get sick off them. You know, whatever. We can just yeah. stick with the expensive maraschino cherries because those are not cheap. So let's or we could say quality rather than expensive. Okay. Exactly. Right. Yes. So, so Xander, your point was that just so I can distill it down for, for the, our friends in the room, we have intention of beauty. We have intention of aroma. Mm-hmm. And then there is the flavor component because we can also look at how beautiful Gideon's cocktails are and he has two garnishes on there. So we're looking for beauty. Like when you said, you know, you can make little designs on top of the foam with the bitters or you're using a citrus, but if you use the cherry, you're getting flavor too. So you have three intentions, would you say? Uh, yeah, generally. Um, that's why I'm very like, uh, drink was very, um, very picky with their garnishes. Um, we would never put a swath into any cocktail. We would express it over top and throw it away. That's very that, Boston, I think. That's Boston. Also, there's a, there's a thought process that if the mm-hmm. peel uh, stays in there, the pith can potentially bitter the cocktail. Uh, so I am very much in that. I had to purposely break that habit at my new bar in California because people would complain that there wasn't a lemon in their old fashioned or orange. And so <laughs> I come from a very kind of like, not necessarily no frills, but just very straightforward. So when I did the video, I didn't do a garnish. Partly because- Very puritanistic. Yeah. Just cold. Partly I didn't have any Angostura, but also partially <laughs> because I was kind of referencing what people have available at home. It's still a delicious cocktail at its base components. You know, tonight I, I drank it and ate it because I was greedy and, and, and thirsty. <laughs> but uh, I actually, you know, Luxardo cherries can be can be a little costly. I mean, it's like sixteen dollars yeah. oh, to twenty dollars in some markets yes. for that jar. Uh, so my garnish tonight was uh, a lemon wheel that I candied. So you still got aroma. Ooh. You still got that little bit of sweetness, which like cut through the tart a little bit. That's and also, when you, you if bro. you're making what was that? That's so extra of you. <laughs> I was chef-y. bored. I was <laughs> bored. I made candy lemon he's, wheels. And then also fancy, I got He's fancy, y'all. He's fancy. I'm very, you, the backwards cap and the kind of daddy vibe is, 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 is misleading, <laughs> but I'm quite fancy. So one of our whiskey family members said that Gideon was kind of California extra because of his double garnish. And so that's oh. where that came from. <laughs> <laughs> I so I think he's upping the extra. Just to appease Chicago, I wanted, I wanted to let Chi-Town know that I have your back too. Aw. Oh, thank Aww. you. And we have yours. Come back. <laughs> I will. That's where I got engaged, actually. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I remember that. He texted me, like, where can I take my girl? I remember that. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> Speaking of engaged, I have to take this to my wonderful fiance. I'll be right there. Do it. Do you it. have to. You have to. I love that. So, so, we, so you guys have covered the just to go down because we're nearing our 15-minute uh, to wrap yeah. up mark. So you've covered um going through the cocktail and some of the controversies and the origins and and the different reasons um so one of the things that um i think most people ask is to be on ice or not on ice and if you can explain Mm. that again i'm gonna piss off a lot of people He's here for it. Uh, I love it. <laughs> that's, hey, that's what I'm here for. Controversial cocktail. Awesome. So uh, if anyone paid attention in the video, 
I do not put it on ice. I didn't put it on mm -hmm. ice now. Mm -hmm. The picture I did just for sake of photographic beauty, but my idea, especially with a lot of classic sours, anything with a sweet and a citrus and a spirit, is I do not think they should be served on ice because uh, the ideology, at least what I was trained, is when you put something on ice, it benefits from further dilution over time, adding something to the drink itself. Certain cocktails benefit from that, uh, certain, per, certain don't, but also a lot of it is personal preference. If you don't serve on ice, it will get warm over time. I just think the drink itself, as is, with no further dilution, that's why you shake it to a certain extent and stop, is the perfect way. And yeah, it might get a little warm, but it's, again, I don't generally have a cocktail that sits around long enough to get it warm. So what happens if you put an egg white cocktail on ice? Not great things. Let's, um, explain, let's explain the chemistry of what happens maybe to our So at least with egg whites, um, they're not super stable over time. Like um, the protein structure in them is not the strongest in comparison to other potentially like ones we we're talking about earlier for Brata water. That's great, Jessica. You can do a foam that lasts almost like 20 minutes, but egg whites mm. generally pop with temperature variations and stuff like that. So if you pour it over ice, the foam structure is gonna cool down and not stay as stable longer. So it won't be as foamy, it won't be as pretty, generally. Mm. I like to think the general rule of thumb with dining, uh, having dining experiences is your food should be consumed at just about the same temperature it received. You know, I'm a, mm -hmm. I'm not a big small plate person, but I'm a fan of um, the right size portions, you know? So I'll order multiple plates at a restaurant or order multiple cocktails at a restaurant. And uh, there's actually a, one of my favorite restaurants in San Francisco, the Gibson, you sit at this bar and if your drink has been hanging out too long, the bartenders will take it from you, mm -hmm. dump it out, and then they'll remake a cocktail for you. They'll just oh. keep moving the progression of your eating. <laughs> Where is this place to be in? Gibson. Uh, Gibson. It's a nice level of service. Yes. That's really yeah. fancy. <laughs> they don't like I it. Go they there. close attention mm -hmm. to what's happening, making sure that the cocktails are staying cold, that you're not on the cocktail that was for the second course, and now you're on fourth course or whatever it might be. Um, so yes, I'm with you on the uh, temperature. Yeah, a recipe is created to create a certain cocktail. And that recipe is an output, and over time, it's going to change. And you guys have different glassware that you used, and I feel like that's mm -hmm. a very common question as well. Because there is, so if, if you guys would all hold up your, your different glassware, um, we're not going to pay attention to mine because I don't matter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we have bowl-shaped glasses, and then we have a rock-style glass or highball, whatever you want to call it, right. old-fashioned glass. So there is a glass called the sour glass. Really? Is, yes, there is. Kitty. Isn't it like a – well, correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not sure, but isn't it um, – tall with like kind of a curved lip like it's like almost like wine glassy with like a curved lip at the top it's like a short wine glass that looks like a coupe and a coupe is yeah. what like chastity i would say so chastity has a coupe so mm -hmm. for yeah the people who yeah. don't know i like to be fancy yeah so does it matter because most people so a few people have asked does it matter the type of glass you're using and why yes it's presentation and it's also yeah. how the cocktail uh, comes to your mouth too, like mm, and the aroma and the the way like the. If I may, um, I don't like with the coupe, 
like as I drink it, my nose, like I, my nose has to go into my glass mm-hmm. to drink it. And so I'm getting all of those aromatics. That's why I you love also, sour in the coop. We're making it, we're making a drink up. We're making a drink that's not served over ice. Having the stem is going to help you keep that, that cocktail cold a little exactly. longer. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because you're not, you're not going to be touching it. Yeah. If you have you're stemless not. glassware, your hands are going to warm that cocktail. So you want something. Ugh. It has a stem on it, so your your hands are not coming into contact with this part that is going to. The stemless wine glass can burn in hell. I, I hate, hate that. It truly can. <laughs> it truly like can. It's absurd. It. <laughs> sorry oh. for y'all who like them, but I hate. Them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to drink Mom. really fast with them. So, so so chemically, scientifically, what happens with a m- wider mouth or a smaller mouth glass? Uh, it just it's how the smell gets to you. What I was going to reference is like um cocktails that have rinses um like my mm. one of my biggest pet peeves is i'll see someone like for example sazerac you rinse the glass with absinthe so that it gets that is your first smell can and you I'll explain what that means to rinse a glass oh, for yes, those that you. don't know um so for example i have finished my cocktail uh, yeah. and there's just a tiny little bit of liquid in there and what i'll do is you'll drop in maybe about a quarter ounce at most and you'll tilt at the edge and you'll slowly rotate it and you'll see kind of as it coats the outside of my glass and basically the liquid coats on the inside. For Sazerac, you'll do that with absinthe and you'll pour the cocktail on the bottom without ice. And so what you do is the first smell you get is gonna get all the absinthe. It's not necessarily the flavor that you get, but it's the smell. So my biggest pet peeve, I'll see someone do that. Then they'll serve, put ice in there and put the cocktail in there and then fill it all the way up and there's no rinse. So you kind of take away the purpose uh, of the rinse. So my ideology, at least with like DOFs, like our double old fashioned, I'll call it DOF, uh, <laughs> is that I just like this personally. Traditionally, yes, uh, sours and egg white drinks, uh, Nick and Nora, which um, we have down there, and then um, a coupe is kind of more traditional. I just like the ideology of something like stable that I can hold my hand and like talk while I'm here. I'm not gonna worry about sloshing it around and, Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Like when you're doing, when you're at cocktail parties and you're socializing, mm-hmm. and you know, there's a large group of people. Some some people just don't want to deal with something with a stem on it because they because like we said, you might splash it. You might. My boyfriend it. breaks them. I mean, like not like he's <laughs> yeah. he man, but he like well, <laughs> he man. But he's just purposeful in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's mostly utilitarian, but it's also just because I also like the luck sometimes of a cocktail that only takes up a little bit of it. It seems more precious. It seems more kind of like nice. I don't know. It's just a weird yeah. mentality that I have. But traditionally, yes. The- so two questions. Um, so one would be chef. Um, do you feel like scientifically there is a reason to use certain shapes of glassware? Um, yeah, it's all chemistry, right? So I always look back to the French um, and I look at wine and the way that glasses are built. Everything from the bottles that the wine is stored in from to the glasses that each different varietal of wine is served in. The same purpose applies for cocktails. Um, especially with egg white cocktails. If you ever stare at an egg white cocktail, it's in a constant state of motion, right? There's, you have this very heavy viscous liquid that's sitting in there and it's trying to settle. So it's separating apart, it's moving around, it's creating motion. And if you were to put an egg white cocktail into a very thin glass or even a Collins, 
what you get is almost two inches of foam. And if you sip from that, well, then you're just drinking all egg white foam. And that's just not pleasant. So you want something of a wider mouth um, for an egg white cocktail so you can get a little bit of the foam because the foam is what carries the aroma. And then you get some of the density and viscosity from the actual liquid. And it's about being able to balance both of those in your mouth. One of my favorite um, food functions is Thanksgiving because of the sheer amount of variations on a plate. I'll never get bored eating Thanksgiving dinner because every fork I put into my mouth has a little bit of this, a little bit of that. It's like, it's the same reason why I love sandwiches. The greatest invention in the entire world, right? There's a limitless amount of sandwiches and it's You're all- making me hungry. <laughs> I, I might've just gone off on a tangent here. Somebody really did. Um, but Keep going. Same thing with cocktails. You want to get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Just like uh, Chastity said, when you go in, you want to be able to catch the nose as well, right? When you're sipping your whiskey and you're drinking it straight, what are you doing? You're seasoning your palate, you're going in for the smell, and then you're sipping the actual whiskey itself. And all those things combined create the experience. It's the same thing with a cocktail, and that's why glasses are shaped the way they're shaped, and that's why we decide three ounces is the average cocktail. That's why we decide a rocks glass is this size, Nick and Nora. And this wasn't me, this is somebody probably before Jerry Thomas, Really good question though. Who came up with the standard glassware for bars? Right? Never actually asked myself that one. And they change over time. time, right? So that's <laughs> so Chastity, if you hold up your glass again, originally champagne was served in this in a coupe glass, and then someone very smart decided that didn't work. <laughs> mm -hmm. Science. Yeah. And I will say I have a similar glass to Chastity, but I have a slight I have a slight curvature up. And this is my home coupe. And the reason I choose it is because also in a cocktail, maybe not so much, maybe, maybe not as necessary for an egg white cocktail, aroma molecules, be it in a neat spirit or in a cocktail itself, are evaporating much faster than the actual flavor molecules. Mm -hmm. So if you have something where those molecules can literally just go up, hit that side and come back down, it's gonna maintain the integrity of your flavor again a little bit longer. So that's kind of why I chose this guy is because it has that nice kind of curve. It keeps the it keeps those aromas inside. Well, we're yeah. winding down here, y'all. Do we have any um, final questions? So I have one final question I wanted to ask Xander because he was our wonderful mixologist tonight. First of all, thank you so much. Round of applause to Hello. his toes. Chin, chin, hey, chin. and this uh, this, this half ounce lemon and half ounce sugar is pretty kick ass. I'm digging. It's working okay. I'm digging. Okay. Yeah, that's so great. So without further ado, Xander, you're working on the bar. You're finishing up your shift. It's last call. It's time to go home. What are you playing for your last call song? Uh, to be super cliche, Closing Time <laughs> by Semisonic. Okay. <laughs> it was the first song that I ever remember getting a CD for. To date me, <laughs> I, uh, I remember uh, stealing it from my older brother because my mom did not think it was appropriate. <laughs> hoarding it for a while. And I had it for a very long time and then it just went the way of the world. Oh, I love it. Also, awesome. quick interruption. I remember I had one other thing to talk about. Guys, you don't have to use shaker tins. Literally any vessel works. By the way, just for shaking cocktails, don't get obsessed with a container. That's you can excellent. Make an algae and you can make it in a Tupperware. Mm -hmm. Make sure it has a proper seal. 
That's a great and tip. <laughs> any port in a storm. That's the next Instagram challenge. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Can you shake it? What you can shake in. Yeah, I like that. I actually owe Xander a shot. Thank you for reminding me. Also going really Oh, I owe you a shot too. <laughs> See you in the next. Oh my. Awesome. So Sailor, should we wrap it up now? I think we should. I think yep. we're good. I think we're getting close to closing time. Closing time. Well, thank <laughs> you guys so much. This was so much fun. Thank you for everybody who tuned in. What a great, fabulous thing to have you join us on your Thursday night between this hour or wherever you are in your time zone. <laughs> thank you, Chastity. Thank you, Ian. Gideon, amazing. Xander, fantastic job. Sailor, we couldn't do this without you as our influencer coach. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of the whiskey fam for tuning in. Yeah. Cheers. Cheers thanks whiskey family. We'll see you next week, right? Next week. Yes. yes. Cheers. Cheers everyone. And Cheers. we will make sure that we have links up and um, you can follow everyone. Actually, you guys, why don't you tell our whiskey family and the, our friends in the room where they can follow you on social media? Cause we know you can find uncle nearest everywhere, Instagram, Facebook, even on Twitter. We have a YouTube channel. We have an IGTV channel. Now we have these zoom rooms, but um, individually, if they'd like to follow you. Uh, I'll go first. I'm a uh, Xander makes drinks. It's very topical. Xander is spelt with an X, though. Very fun. I'm at Drinking Like Kitty, or just Drinking Like Kitty. I don't have to say the at because you guys yeah. know. <laughs> <laughs> Chastity, how about you? I am <laughs> Sipping Lovely. So Sipping, S-I-P-P-I-N-G, Lovely. Okay? All right. <laughs> I love it. Ian, what's yours? I am the underscore whiskey in on all the things. Clever. Love it. And finally, Gideon. I am at the real scuba chef. <laughs> I love it. Of course. Scuba chef. <laughs> you know, scuba drinks water, liquid, and then chef. And then I love it. Got it. <laughs> wonderful. Yeah, yeah. wonderful. Jokes are best when explained. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, everybody. Good night, y'all. So thank you, everybody. This was uh, the Cocktail Corner brought to you by Uncle Nearest. Mm -hmm. And um, you can find them every Thursday. So we'll see you next time. See you next week. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Cheers. Thanks for joining us for Uncle Nearest Cocktail Club. As always, we learned a lot and we hope you did too. Can't wait to chat and raise a glass with you again next week. Till then, cheers. Thanks for listening. This is the Spirit of Rock Podcast. This is a Spirit of Rock Network show. To check out all of our shows, visit spiritofrockpods.com. That's spiritofrockpods with an S.com. Thanks for listening.